The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On this episode of Newt's World, I want to share with you some thinking I've been doing about the road forward politically, what we should learn out of 2022. And in some ways, I began that process on November 30th when I wrote a column entitled Quit Underestimating President Biden, in which I said, quote, conservatives' hostility to the Biden administration on our terms tends to blind us to just how effective Biden has been on his own terms. Now, I have to tell you, that I got to that in part because the more I thought about the outcome, the more I thought that, frankly, we got whipped. Now, I'm going to share with you a number of good news. It's not like this was a disaster, but considering how bad the economy was, considering how bad the murder rate is, considering what a disaster the border is, we should have done better. And I think it's important for us to really think about it. Now, because I said, quit underestimating President Biden, the column went viral. It was picked up by multiple news outlets, shared on social media, and even liberal MSNBC's Morning Joe program devoted a roundtable discussion about it, during which host and former Republican Congressman Joe Scarborough said, Newt got it right. Well, I think I was right in saying we underestimate Biden, and I hope when you're done with this podcast, you'll decide I'm also right to say we need a much deeper look at what went wrong and to what degree Republicans don't get what's going on. Part of the reason I really wanted to push this is we're now talking about having various review committees and what have you. And I think that there's a terrible tendency for Republicans to shape what they want to do around what they're comfortable with. Jack Kemp used to tell the story of the drunk who was looking for his keys under the light, and the policeman said, well, where did you drop him? He said, well, I dropped him in the alley, but the alley's dark, so I don't want to go looking in the alley. Well, in some ways, the Republicans are only comfortable looking at lessons that make them feel good. 
And when you get to lessons that are really a disaster and really difficult, I think it's a real challenge. And because of the distractions in Washington, the trivia, the degree to which the news media wants to cover junk, and whatever today's most recent story is, there tends to be kind of a very shallow surface-level review. And frankly, some of the problems are really hard. I was really struck years ago by a New Yorker cartoon in which this guy had three boxes, in, out, and too hard. And I think that for a lot of the things we have to deal with, most Republicans flinch and say, well, that would be too hard. But the truth is, if we owe it to the country to think through how we can truly represent it. And the work I've been doing with a number of people, which you can see at americasnewmajorityproject.com, is really important because it made me realize, and this is material that's available to anybody. Anybody can go to the website. We put all of our polls, all of our focus groups, and you begin to realize there's this huge majority culturally. For example, it disapproves of big government socialism, and it favors free market capitalism. It's 82% in favor of free market capitalism, 18% for big government socialism. Most Americans reject lectures by woke people about race, and in fact, by 91 to 6, people agree with Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s comment that it is the content of our character, not the color of our skin. The cultural majority deeply disapproves of brainwashing young children with radical ideas about sex and gender. 72%, three out of four, oppose teaching school children they can change their gender. And if you go to America's New Majority Project.com, you'll see item after item after item when there's clearly a cultural majority. Now, those people should have been Republican voters in this last election because there's virtually no Democrat left who represents the cultural majority. But they didn't. And that means that the gap between our political majority and our cultural majority is enormous. And I think that, frankly, we have a moral obligation to try to understand how we can translate the cultural majority into a political majority, because that was the heart of what Lincoln was talking about at Gettysburg when he described government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And what we have today, unfortunately, is government of the elites, by the elites, and for the elites imposed on the American people against their resistance. So I think the Republican Party has a moral, patriotic obligation to think through what has to be done, because the objective reality is that we have not mastered the systems, principles, and patterns that are needed. And until we do that, we're not going to win the scale of election we need, and we're not going to be able to govern effectively. And so I'm really encouraging the Republican National Committee and others to have a deep review of the Republican failure to look at things that most post-election projects ignore, and to look at facts from which, frankly, they hide. And Republicans, I think, have to look at the real world, not at the fantasy world that they imagine. So let me give you some examples. Let's start with real fact-finding. You know, Cliss and I went election night to Kevin McCarthy's war room, and frankly, looking at the results race by race, we were disappointed. I was certainly wrong in my projections. And yet, When you actually began getting the voting numbers 
it was a totally different story. So we had all this analysis the first two or three days after the election as though Republicans had lost ground. But the fact was, with Kevin McCarthy's leadership, House Republicans got 50.7% of the votes, where the Democrats got 47.7%. So the Republicans had a three-point advantage. That's a six-point turnaround from the Democrats' 50.8% to Republicans' 47.7% in 2020. Now, nobody was describing, gee, there's been a six-point improvement for Republicans because then everybody would have been sort of happy. And in fact, when you looked in more detail, Dave Wasserman of the Cook Political Report had a great line. He said, and I'm quoting Dave, Democrats fell off a cliff in Florida and New York where their House candidates underperformed Biden's 2020 margins by an average of 13 points. And GOP mini waves also had California and Oregon where Democrats underperformed by 7.6 points. Now, if that had been the headline the day after the election, people would have said, wow, the Democrats have really taken a beating. But in fact, across the whole country, that wasn't what was happening and that wasn't the mood. And so the result was, we really have to start, and I would challenge any review group, start by finding the facts. And that means you've got to look at the analysis of who voted, when did they vote, and you have to do it state by state. And you're going to find, and I'll get to this in a little while, you're going to find some very interesting numbers that are sort of shockingly positive for Republican. And you'll find some other numbers that are very sobering if you're a Republican. But phase one of any kind of review has to be real fact finding. And that means, for example, reviewing all the major polls, comparing them with what really happened with different groups in different states. Second, I think we have to really understand what closing the resource gap is going to be like. We don't understand the scale of our resource problem. Analysts usually match Republican fundraising dollars against Democratic fundraising dollars. This is a profound mistake, which we've been repeating for decades, maybe as long as I've been in politics. It deeply understates the scale of the challenge in reaching voters. The truth is, Democrat resources are enormous they can't be neatly listed on a spreadsheet. For example, if Saturday Night Live savages Herschel Walker three days before the runoff, what is that worth? If Mark Zuckerberg puts $419 million into turnout efforts in Democratic precincts, how do you record that as a resource? If the FBI and Twitter block the New York Post from reaching millions with its story about Hunter Biden's laptop just weeks before the election, are they helping Democrats get elected? If Twitter kicks the incumbent president off its platform, is that an in-kind gift to the Biden campaign? If Google routinely blocks Republican fundraising appeals the last four days of the month, every month, how much money are Republicans losing? Because they literally can't reach people with their appeal for money. When the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development organizes voter drives on the president's order, and that's in 3,300 community organizations. Are they serving Republican and Democrat voters equally? If famously liberal universities actively punish conservative speech, then run voter registration operations and voter turnout operations, who do you think that helps? None of these efforts show up on traditional Federal Election Commission reports. Republicans have to start by mapping the scale of the left understanding the totality of the resources, and then 
thinking about how are we going to win despite the imbalance that currently exists. That's a much bigger and much more complicated project than just matching Democrat and Republican campaigns as such. Third, we have to learn how to compete in modern elections. The election calendar has changed, but Republicans don't seem to understand the new requirements for effective competition. Voting starts in mid-September in some states. Hoarding your advertising money to mid-October doesn't work anymore. Early voting is a fact. Republicans have to learn to maximize it and then to focus on non-voters more intensely, which is exactly what Democrats do. We have to shift resources from late TV buys to early voting efforts, which may hurt consultants' wallets, but it may win more elections. Republican nominees who come out of tough primaries with no money and stay off the air for six or seven weeks while their Democrat opponents and the news media define them become irrevocably damaged. See Mehmet Oz's campaign in Pennsylvania as an example. Republicans focus on campaigns. Democrats focus on elections. The difference is profound. And Republicans have to learn that it's the election that actually matters, not the campaign. I would say next, stop hitting yourself. I was deeply shaped by my earliest experience, which was dropping out of college in 1964 to run a congressional campaign in North Georgia. Barry Goldwater for the conservatives and Nelson Rockefeller for the moderate wing of the party got into such a bitter fight that they couldn't get back together. Goldwater, when he got the nomination, was deeply savaged by the moderates. He only got 38.5% of the vote. We lost seats in the House and Senate. In fact, we were down to 140 House members and 32 senators after this was over. Well, we had a modest example of the same thing this year. Senator McConnell's super PAC spent $4 million against the Republican nominee in New Hampshire. That hurt. The McConnell Super PAC also publicly pulled out a Blake Masters race in Arizona in mid-October. That hurt. It jarred the campaign. It cost momentum. It sent a signal to a lot of people not to donate to Masters just as he was building momentum and closing the gap. While Republicans criticized our own candidate's quality, the Democrats nominated a stroke victim who could barely talk in Pennsylvania and a radical who ultimately lost in Wisconsin. I would argue that, you know, Attacking your own candidate's quality is not a very smart strategy if you want to win elections. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Now, we're already seeing some of this danger of the party splitting and being self-destructive occurring with Kevin McCarthy. And I want to talk briefly about this because it's a current, present, real problem. The fact is that Kevin McCarthy has worked very, very hard to create a national majority in the House. And in fact, I think it's fair to say that while the Senate has lost ground for three consecutive elections, that the House Republicans gained seats in 20 when everybody thought they were going to lose seats. They were supposed to lose 25. They gained 15. That's a swing of 40. And they gained seats again this year. So Kevin McCarthy's led the only national effort, which has actually won twice in a row. And you have a couple of members who are deeply opposed to what McCarthy's doing and who, in fact, want to cause trouble. One of them announced today that he can get five votes for speaker. Well, McCarthy's margin at 222 is four votes, which, by the way, is the same margin Pelosi ran the House with because Pelosi ran a machine, and she could win every vote. So no matter what she did, she could win every vote, because the machine would vote with her. Republicans are much more individualistic than Democrats, much harder to organize. But when you look at the people who are talking about taking on McCarthy, it is just kind of astonishing. So let me just give you a couple examples. One of the people who has been the noisiest in criticizing McCarthy is Bob Good. Now, when Bob Good himself ran, McCarthy helped him to the tune of $3,249,000 in two elections. By contrast, the total amount that he donated back to the Congressional Campaign Committee was $96,900. But he's not happy with McCarthy. You go through person by person, and what you discover is These are members who didn't go out on their own, didn't help other candidates, didn't campaign. And by contrast, let me just share with you what McCarthy did. McCarthy went out and raised altogether something like $480 million. He traveled to 47 states. From the August recess to Election Day, he campaigned with 170 members and candidates in 41 states. This year, he was on the campaign trail 172 out of 311 days. Back in 2020, when he was helping win the first round of 15 seats, even with the pandemic, he was on the road for 102 days. He recruited a record number of Republican women, minorities, and veterans. We had 298 women campaigning in 2022. We had 228 in 2020. We had 248 minority candidates in 2022. We'd had 192 in 2020. We had 252 veterans filed. 
And I'm going to get to the examples of the victories, which are really remarkable. But I just want to lay out this whole notion. The fact is that McCarthy has earned being speaker, even with a very narrow margin. He has spent the time on the road doing everything he had to to get it done. And you have five people or six people essentially trying to blackmail the party who didn't do the work, didn't donate the money, didn't campaign around the country. Now that there's a very small majority, they think they can blackmail the whole party. This is exactly the attitude which will be a disaster if it goes into 23. And if that's the attitude with which we nominate a candidate for president, we will have a catastrophe in 24. I simply want to make the point that one of the key lessons we need to learn is not to shoot ourselves. And that we've got to be a team and we've got to be on the same team. And that means sometimes you support people who aren't 100% you. But if you don't do that, you guarantee that the left is going to win. I think the next major thing we have to do is learn from success. And I'm going to get to some of these successes in a minute. And they're remarkable. But we need to study the clear major Republican victories. You look at places like Florida, Ohio, Texas, Iowa. There are plenty of places where Republicans did extraordinarily well. You also look at a comparison of the House Republican campaign, which has won seats two elections in a row, and the Senate, which has lost seats three elections in a row. What can we learn by just studying our own successes? And I think a whole serious investigation of what was working is as important as looking at what didn't work. I think we also have to recognize that we have to get with the times. The impact of university and college election efforts has to be studied. The scale of the Republican defeat among the younger generation is a warning sign that we need profoundly new approaches if we're going to survive. The fact is, Gen Z looks at TikTok, they don't look at Fox News. As long as TikTok is legal, we had better learn how to compete in it. At the same time, the depth of younger Americans' commitment to the environment and global warming requires a conservative climate solution. Debating whether the climate is an issue is a losing proposition. Offering a modular nuclear power hydrogen production system would be a conservative answer to carbon loading that would produce energy, create jobs, build a stronger economy, and have virtually no carbon emissions. We need to fight over the best way to solve environmental problems rather than allowing it to degenerate into a pro-environment versus anti-environment model. We know which side younger and college-educated voters will pick if it's a pro- and anti-environment choice. But I think offered a better solution with better science and technology, producing a better economy while also meeting the environmental needs could in fact be a winning ticket for having a totally new conversation. And if you're willing to have part of that conversation on TikTok, you might be shocked how many young people you reach. I think we also have to recognize that we are up against a system in court of lawfare. Lawfare is a model that came out of the military and is the idea that you can use the law to shape the structure of a conflict. The Democrats understand lawfare. They employ it 365 days a year. They are naturally the party of trial lawyers. They have a deep passion for filing lawsuits. They use the legal system to attack and delegitimize their opponents. They understand that the constant, subtle application of legal challenges can change the entire election environment, even if they don't ultimately pass muster in court. Bombarding state legislators and election officials with legal threats scares them into agreeing to radical election models 
that favor Democrats. It's also true for school boards. This has become a niche legal industry for Democrats. And in fact, there is a clear effort to drive Republican lawyers out of politics and leave the Republicans defenseless against these activist legal attacks. And we have to have a serious commitment to understanding lawfare. Probably the biggest challenge we face is figuring out how to break identity politics. And by identity politics, I mean, if you look at the performance in New York City, where the Democratic governor got 69% of the vote, despite crime, inflation, and the general decay of the quality of life. Or you look at Chicago, where no matter how bad things get, they keep voting Democrat. When you have an identity system, you don't care about performance. I understand this in football. I'm a Packer fan. This has been a terrible year for the Packers. I'm still a Packer fan. I'm not going to quit. It's been a great year for the Bulldogs. I'm still a Bulldog fan. But it's easier this year to be from the number one team at the University of Georgia. But the point is, when you get into an identity kind of situation, performance doesn't necessarily change you. And we don't have a good model. And to the best of my knowledge, we've never had a serious project of figuring out how do you break through on identity politics and how do you get messages to people that let them actually shift their votes, which would be a huge step towards turning the massive cultural majority into a political majority. Finally, I think we have to learn empathy. The Democrats use symbols, fear, victimhood, and emotions, while Republicans tend to use facts, logic, reason, and rationality. The entire Democrat campaign on abortion was based on fear and potential victimization. For over half a century, the racial politics of the left have emphasized fear and emotion. The recent consolidation of the sexual politics vote has been based on fear of repression, elimination of rights, and job discrimination. Eric Erickson recently warned about the emotional counterattack Democrats may make over Hunter Biden. Eric said, quote, Tens of millions of Americans are dealing with the effects of addiction on their families and those of friends and other loved ones. What is the GOP response going to be when the media casts Biden as a sympathetic dad trying to help his son overcome his battles with addiction? They are absolutely going to do that. Don't misunderstand me. Republicans don't need to make cheap emotional appeals, but they need to be ready for them and ready to counter the symbols and emotion. When we rely on logic to counter symbols and emotion, it makes us look cold and heartless. Instead, we have to answer with higher ideals or we have to answer with positive emotional appeals that are accurate and reasonable. Answering Erickson's example, Republicans show a strategy that is bigger than Hunter Biden that emphasizes unfair special treatment or national security more than personal failings. Those are the kinds of fundamental problems Republicans need to research, think through, debate, and solve to have a serious, realistic plan for 2024 and beyond. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Now, the fact is, we have a lot to build on. Despite all the negative attitude and all the hand-wringing, Republicans across the country had many successes during the 2022 midterm elections. I want to give you some examples about this, and I want to start with a point that my good friend and political consultant Joe Gaylord said in our podcast this past Sunday on the post-midterm analysis. Joe believes there are five things that matter in every election. First, candidate quality, which is central to everything. Second, campaign organization. Third, campaign finance. Fourth, believable contrast with opponents in the race. And fifth, issues that motivate the base to turn out. I would add to this list that for 2024, we need to understand how the reordering of states in the primaries will matter. Will South Carolina go first over Iowa or New Hampshire, as the Biden administration is suggesting? By the way, I think that it's very unlikely that anybody will get ahead of New Hampshire because their state law empowers their Secretary of State if necessary, to have the primary this August. They are going to be first in the nation, no matter what it takes. So it'll be interesting to watch that dance. Biden may have opened a can of worms he didn't need to. I think we also have to go through state by state to understand the early voting structure in every state, which will have an impact on how Republicans raise and spend campaign money through the longer election period. There are only four states that do not allow mail-in early voting, Alabama, Connecticut, Delaware, and New Hampshire. Delaware will allow early in-person voting a week before the election. The rest of the 46 states allow some form of early voting. In fact, three states have turned to all mail-in ballots, Colorado, Hawaii, and Oregon. So I think when you look at that framework, what I want to do is share with you some data which the Republican National Committee gave me. And it's pretty impressive. Let's start with the Republican victory. Republicans won the House for only the third time since the Eisenhower administration. As you'll remember, we won in 94 with the contract with America, and John Boehner led an effort in 2010. This is the third time we have picked up a majority, and it's the second straight cycle where Kevin McCarthy led the House Republicans in actually picking up seats. There were some fascinating examples. In New York 17, Mike Lawler defeated Sean Patrick Maloney. This was particularly delicious for House Republicans because Maloney was the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee chairman, the first one to be defeated since 1980. On the votes counted so far, Republicans have received over 4 million more votes in House race than Democrats. Again, 
had we started the analysis on the day after the election with that piece of data, Republicans have jumped to a 4 million vote lead in House races, people would have had a totally different attitude about what was happening. They would have focused on the Senate as a problem, but they would not have focused necessarily on Republicans as a problem. There are a number of historic firsts that are embedded in the 2022 results. Katie Britt became the first woman to be elected to the U.S. Senate from Alabama and will become the youngest woman serving in the U.S. Senate. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who most of us know from her time as spokesperson for Donald Trump, was elected the first female governor of Arkansas, and Leslie Rutledge was elected the first female lieutenant governor of Arkansas. Oklahoma Senator-elect Mark Wayne Mullen will be the first Native American in the U.S. Senate in nearly two decades. Mullen will be the first Native American senator from Oklahoma in a century. Lori Chavez de Ramir became Oregon's first Republican Latina to be elected to Congress, and Juan Siscomani became Arizona's first Latino Republican to be elected to Congress. Anna Polina Luna became Florida's first Mexican-American woman elected to Congress. Republican Monica de la Cruz is the first Republican and first Latina elected to represent Texas's 15th congressional district in the district's 120-year history. That's down in the valley, very close to the Mexican border. Andy Ogles won in Tennessee's 5th district, making it the first time Nashville has had a Republican representative in Congress since Reconstruction. Guam elected its first Republican House delegate, James Moylan, since 1993. Iowa, where, by the way, the governor led an amazing effort. Iowa elected the first Republican attorney general in 40 years, Brenna Byrd. Sue Hong became the first Asian-American Republican woman elected to the Georgia State Legislature, and Georgia Insurance Commissioner John King who was appointed to the office by Governor Brian Kemp in 2019, became the first Hispanic candidate elected to statewide office. And I might say that John King is a friend because he's very close to my son-in-law, Jimmy Cushman, who first introduced us years ago when he was a police chief in Buford, Georgia. There were several states that used to be purple swing states that have clearly turned bright red. Florida, which was the biggest and most famous, that's after all the third largest state, Governor DeSantis won by an amazing margin almost got a 60-40 victory. Senator Rubio won by 16 points. Republicans picked up four House seats in the U.S. Congress. Republicans captured every statewide office in Florida the first time since Reconstruction this has happened. As an example of how deep their penetration was, Governor DeSantis won Miami-Dade County, the biggest county in Florida, very heavily Latino, becoming the first Republican gubernatorial candidate to win the county since 2002, and by far with the biggest margin. All nine Republicans running in state legislative races in the Miami area won. That is an enormous shift in the direction of the Republican Party in Florida. In Ohio, Republicans swept all six statewide elected offices, including re-electing Governor Mike DeWine by 25 points. J.D. Vance won his race to become Ohio's next senator by seven points. Republicans expanded their supermajority in the Ohio State House and obtained their largest supermajority in the Senate in 70 years. They swept the Ohio Supreme Court races, winning all three seats. In Iowa, where, as I mentioned earlier, Governor Kim Reynolds had put together a tremendous race, had been a very effective governor, they swept all four of Iowa's congressional races, re-elected Senator Grassley, and that means the state's entire congressional delegation is now Republican for the first time since 1956. They won all but one of Iowa's statewide elected offices, 
They elected a Republican attorney general and a Republican state treasurer. They expanded their majority in the Iowa House, and they're on track to obtain a supermajority in the Iowa Senate, the first time that has happened in over 50 years. In New York, you've got to give Lee Zeldin a lot of credit. He had the courage to run for governor. He ran the best race since 1992. And as a result, we picked up three congressional seats in New York State. We swept all four of the congressional seats in Long Island. We broke the Democrat supermajority in the state Senate. In central New York, Republicans saw a clean sweep of state Supreme Court judges taking all four seats while flipping two from blue to red. Again and again, you saw this happening. And I would just say that it was a remarkable year for us at many levels. So let me just close by saying this. I think that you have a much more diverse Republican Party. We have Hispanic candidates winning. You have black candidates winning. You had female candidates winning. You had veteran candidates winning. A lot of that was because of the work that Kevin McCarthy did in very aggressively recruiting people. And the result was we were picking up Democratic seats. One of the things we have to look at is we lost incumbent Republican House members that we should not have lost. That has to be seriously looked at because the truth is, in 2020, we didn't lose a single incumbent. In 1994, we didn't lose a single incumbent. Had we not lost those incumbents, the margin in the House would be substantially bigger than it is right now. We also had some great breakthroughs in terms of reaching out to ethnic minorities. We now have dramatically improved our vote among Latinos. It was a 40-point Democratic advantage in 2018. It's dropped to 21 points now. This is the best performance ever for Republicans with Hispanics in a midterm election. The fact is, there are some analyses that say it was an even narrower majority. And year after year now, we have been getting stronger among Latinos, both because of economic issues. They go to work for take-home pay. They're watching their family budget get eaten up by inflation, by the price of gasoline. We also saw very substantial breakthroughs in the Jewish community in New York, which went very heavily for Lee Zeldin and where education was a huge issue. And we saw a dramatic improvement in the Republican position among Asian Americans, where we had significant gains almost everywhere. So it's a mixed message. We don't have any reason to despair, but we have a lot of reasons to learn. We're not automatically going to win in 2024, but we have a real chance to win. And most importantly, we owe it to the country to figure out how we take this massive cultural majority, which, as I said, you can see it at americasnewmajorityproject.com, and you can then ask yourself, why is it, if people believe these things by this huge a margin, why have we as Republicans been so incapable of translating that into a political majority to match the cultural majority? And I think in the spirit of Abraham Lincoln, we have an obligation to help the American people govern themselves and that that's a moral calling we should all have. I hope you found this useful as an introduction to how to think about the next two years. I really thank you for listening. You can read more about what Republicans should review to prepare for 2024 on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan, Our producer is Rebecca Howe, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars 
and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.